Man, the Lord is so gracious to us, isn't he? He's so gracious that he allowed me to make a big mistake on the back of this bulletin. Can you notice it? How many of you know how to spell predicaments? None of us. All right. So now you know the Lord humbles us and allows us to make mistakes to remind us that we are not God. And I'm thankful for that, as I'm sure you are as well. Sabine, I think I'm, I'm a little high. Could you bring me down a little bit? No more copying and pasting from my sermon. Please do spell checks. But I take full responsibility. I do not blame Ryan for any of the mistakes. Not even the missing of the title and the inside of the bulletin. All right, turn in your Bibles to the book of Joshua as we continue our series. Man, what a fascinating uh, group of passages we've been through as we've been doing this season of Joshua. You know, last week we talked about the insurgent that we have in our own heart, how sin is an insurgent. It's waiting for the right time to overthrow us, to, um, to try to drag us away from the living God in any way that it can. And like the Israelites not driving out the Canaanites, we also tend to not drive out sin in our life uh, for many reasons. And today we're going to see the tendency to not go into action against the sworn enemy of our Lord, of our Savior. Because as Christians, we're in a fight. You know, Scripture is full of the language of war. And there's many guys in this room who, who are or were war fighters. And we know what it means to fight. We know how to fight an insurgency. We've been studying it for the last uh, 30 years. And so Scripture is full of the language of war. The fight, the good fight of faith, Paul says to Timothy. Friendship with the world is enmity towards God. Resist the devil and he will flee. Put on the full armor of God. All these words are words of struggle, of, uh, of, of fighting. And the refrain continues. We fight not against flesh and blood. We, fight, we don't fight like the world fights. We fight with the grace of Christ. So our weapons of warfare are different. We're different than the world. We don't fight in the same way that the world does. We don't use the same methods and we don't use the same modalities. But we fight with hope, with faith, and with love, with confession and repentance. We, we fight with submission. It's a completely different type of warfare, and it's the only way that we can be effective. And we fight against sin, and this fight against sin is sin in us. Because when someone sins against us, we tend to want to turn them into the enemy. But the reality is, we need to deal with this first. And if we are to be like Christ, who is our example, who went willingly to the cross and did not respond in kind, he did not repay evil for evil, we too have to do the same thing. But we fight this fight against sin, sin in the world, and sin against, or, and we fight against the devil because we can get lazy. We can get comfortable. So while sin has been defeated, the devil's head has been crushed, but it's still running an insurgency. He is still running an insurgency in our lives and in this world. And if there's one thing I know about insurgencies, is that you cannot give them time to regroup or rest. You cannot give the sin in your life time to regroup or rest. Do not sleep on this. This is a reality that we have. Have you ever watched a movie where there's a boxer 
and the boxer gets into the ring, and he begins to get the guy on the ropes. I don't even know what that means, but it sounds really cool. And he's fighting this guy, and his coach is in the back, and he's like, um, he's saying, hit him again, hit him again. You got him on the ropes. Press home your advantage. Do not let up. Do not pull back and say, you good, man? Catch a breath. No, you want to finish the fight. And the Israelites are in that predicament. They have broken the backbone of the enemy. They've broken the resistance. There are no more Canaanite armies to fight the people of Israel. They're in the land. They have arrived to this promised land, but they are not finishing the job. I like how Matthew Matthew Henry says, "The the slothful desire the gains which the diligent get, but they hate the pains which the diligent take. So think about that for a minute. The slothful, the lazy, desire the gains which the diligent get, but they hate the pains which the diligent take. So as we approach this idea of not sitting on the couch and hoping that God will zap us into holiness, let's take a minute and pray as we bring this time to the Lord. Father, we ask that this message would uh, be glorifying to you, that everything in this passage would speak to our hearts. Lord, if there's anyone in this room uh, who is distracted by the things of this world, I pray that you would remove that distraction from them and they would be able to focus in on your word. Uh, on your word. Father, I'd like to, to lift up uh, First Baptist Church of Sierra Vista this morning. Lord, I pray for Pastor Jesse as he brings the word, that your name would go forth and it would, it would be bold, that he would uh, proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to those in his congregation. Father, we pray for Sierra Vista. Lord, we know this this city desperately needs you, and we long to be a a vehicle of use to you in this area. Lord, be with us. Help us to become holy as you are holy. Lord, give us the strength to fight these battles through your dear son, Jesus Christ. Lord, teach us how to use grace to fight. And we ask these things in the beautiful name of Christ. And all God's people said, Amen. So in the receiving of God's promises, there will be difficulty. They must, the Israelites, they must fight for it. So we're going to see the first thing, which is a perilous predicament. That's why I did the P in the front. Perilous predicament. It just sounds cool. 18, chapter, uh, chapter 18, uh, verses 1 through 10, tell us about this perilous predicament. The entire Israelite community assembled at Shiloh and set up a, the tent of meeting there. The land had been subdued before them, but seven tribes among the Israelites were left who had not divided up their inheritance. So Joshua asked the Israelites, how long will you delay going out to take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your ancestors, gave you? Appoint for yourselves three men from each tribe, and I will send them out. They are to go and survey the land. Write a description of it for the purpose of their inheritance and return to me. Then they are to divide it into seven portions. Judah is to remain in its territory in the south and Joseph's family in their territory in the north. When you have written a description of the seven portions of the land and brought it to me, I will cast lots for you there in the presence of the Lord your God, our God. But the Levites among them But the Levites among you do not get a portion because their inheritance is the priesthood of the Lord. Gad, Reuben, and half the tribe of Manasseh 
have taken their inheritance beyond the Jordan to the east, which Moses the Lord's servant gave them. As the men prepared to go, Joshua commanded them, write down a description of the land, saying, go and survey the land. Write a description of it and return to me. I will then cast lots for you here in Shiloh in the presence of the Lord. So the men left, went through the land, and described it by towns in a document of seven sections. They returned to Joshua at the camp in Shiloh. Joshua cast lots for them at Shiloh in the presence of the Lord, where he distributed the land to the Israelites according to their divisions. This is so interesting. You have seven tribes who have not begun to take the land. The inheritance is before them, and they're getting comfortable at Shiloh. The tent of meeting is mentioned for the first time in Joshua. So it's kind of interesting that the tent of meeting now, for the first time in the book of Joshua, is mentioned. It's, it's almost as if the, the writer, Joshua, is indicating we finally have a little bit of rest. Shiloh is a city in the hill country of Ephraim, and it's centrally located between Shechem to the north and Bethel to the south. Joshua and the tribes of Israel encamp there and have settled the land. Uh, this is the home of the Ark of the Covenant and the tabernacle during the time of Joshua all the way to the time of Samuel. So this is almost a semi-permanent new capital for the people of Israel. And if you look at verses 2 and 3, you begin to see the tension here. Seven tribes still don't have their inheritance. Man, if you had an inheritance, would you not be chomping at the bit to go get established, to start farming, to start, start ranching, to start doing whatever it is that you are called to do? So what would cause the delay? Why would they not seek to destroy these enemies? I think there's a few possibilities. One, comfort. After all these years of, of wilderness living, sitting back at Shiloh, it seems appealing. Think about this. They've been, they've, they grew up in the wilderness. For 40 years, they've been wandering. Their parents have been wandering. They have been in this wilderness, and they've been travelers. They're tired. And then they go into the promised land, and they fight wars. They fight battles over and over again. There's a battle after battle after battle. They're probably tired. That makes sense to me. Maybe it's some, some fear, because they're going to have to do this on their own now. Their tribe is going to have to take the land. Because there's still Canaanites living in the land. They still have uh, people inhabiting some of these cities. And they, as a tribe, are going to have to organize and to fight these battles. They can't do it with the whole, uh, the whole group of the Israelites anymore. But Joshua, he sees the problem and he challenges them. He motivates them to get into action. And this is a great example of leadership. Because he reminds them that the Lord is the one who gives them the land. So this land belongs to the Lord. Now, if you are sitting in family worship at my house, one of the things I like to do is ask my kids, how many repetitions did you notice in the chapter we just read? Because over and over, and especially in the Old Testament, there's a repetition. Right after the, you have the, the genealogy of Adam, you have everybody's name and their number of, of years lived, and then it says they died. Over and over again, they died, they died, they died. And the reason is the author is pointing to the fact that the curse is being accomplished. That God's curse that Adam and Eve, when they ate of this, they will surely die. And not only will they die, but everyone after them dies. 
And so we have this, this repetition here. And did you notice the repetition in Joshua? Did you guys pick that up? Over and over again, he says, we're going to come back here to the presence of the Lord and we're going to cast lots. We're going to throw these lots. And so we see that Joshua is indicating that even though you're going out and you're going to mark out the land and determine the boundaries, you're going to come back here and we're going to see what the Lord wills because the Lord is in control. And so he gives them clear directions. He says, get three men from each tribe, send them out. Hopefully they have a little bit of skills in geometry or geography. And he says, you guys go out there and you begin to mark out the territory of Israel and begin to write out sections and put them into a book. So he gives them clear directions. And then Joshua gives a summary and the men do what they were instructed. This is good. The, the Israelites get up, they send their men out, and they begin to go and they explore the whole land. They look all over the whole area, they get the cities, and they begin to mark out areas. And so a few aspects of this are important. So all of this is done under the guidance and the authority of the Lord. So when you see that the, the name LORD there in all caps, go ahead and look in your Bibles. And look for a spot where it says LORD, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Do you see that? The authors of your translation are trying to point to something unique here. And that's the personal name of God. A few, maybe 10, 20 years ago, uh, many people thought that maybe it was Jehovah was what this was transliterating. Uh, now I think the consensus is that it is Yahweh. That this area here says is Yahweh. So when you see that word Lord, it's the personal name of God. It, it, it's, it's God's personal name. God is the title. Yahweh is his personal name. And so Yahweh has given them this land. When you come back with your geographic sketches, he says we're going to cast lots before Yahweh. So God is the God of lots. It's uh, lots of lots in this passage. And his decisions are binding. So this is also a legal document now. So as they bring this back and they, they cast they cast these things, it is a legal document. So you guys are like, man, this is super interesting, but what does this have to do with me? What does this have to do with my problems and my struggles? And I think we can draw some application from this. First, Yahweh, the Lord, has given his promised people the land. It has been given to them. This is theirs. This is their inheritance. Yet they seem to delay. It's kind of interesting to me because I have rarely seen children delay in opening their presents on Christmas morning. Very few children delay on opening gifts that you have given them. But it's a challenge to us. It's a reminder. How long are we as Christians going to delay in taking hold of the promises the Lord has given us. You know, we have an obligation to obey the commands of Jesus. We cannot sit by and not act. You will not grow in holiness if you sit on the couch and eat potato chips. I hate to break it to you. Will you put in the work for your sanctification, your growth in holiness? Joshua calls the Israelites to action. I wonder if you hear a similar call. Ryan, I wonder if you hear a similar call, Justin. I wonder if you hear a similar call, Jesse family. I wonder if you hear a, call, a similar call, Jackie. 
Do you hear this call? Get to action. Do not sit back. Do not coast. He's calling us to action. And the only reason I said those names was not because they have it any more than the rest of you. It's just because I recognize their faces. Matthew 5.16 says, In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. What does that presuppose? That you are doing good works. This is not works-based salvation. This is living up to what God has already claimed for you. You are not earning your salvation. Jesus has already done that and for, for those who belong to Him. But I wonder if it can be said about you. Has Jesus saved you? How do you know? What evidence is there that you are saved? What evidence is there that you are saved? Do you have fruits in keeping with repentance? Are you quick to confess? Are you quick to repent? Are you quick to turn? The battle I am talking about is, are you putting to death indwelling sin in your life? Has King Jesus already claimed you for his own, and now you are called to live up to that reality? If someone was to examine your heart or your mind, would they see someone who is striving, who is fighting to be like Jesus? Or is there still aspects of your life that you need to put to death? Or maybe that you need to fight against? And remember that the methods that God has given us to put those to death. And the first thing we do is we cry out. We cry out in prayer. We rem to remove sins so that so easily entangled, we have to cry out and ask the Lord to free us from this. So are you crying out to Him in prayer? Are you, are you pressing on for the goal that is in Christ Jesus, as Paul talks about? Are you filling your mind with what God's Word says? Or are you listening more to social media, to the television, to the news, to your best friend, to the buddies at the bar, than you are to the Word of the living God that tells us what we need to know? Remember the psalmist. He says, I have hidden your Word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Are you doing these things? Use it as a checklist. Am I doing these things? Am I continually doing these things? You know, is there enough for me to be convicted of being a Christian if I was to go into before a court? Are you being regular in the gathering of the church? Are you being encouraged by the preaching of the word? Are you coming to church expecting to hear a word from the Lord for you? Or are you coming here to check a box? To entertain yourself? The reason that we don't grow is because we neglect these ordinary things that God has given us. These ordinary means of, of grace. The reason that sin has a foothold in your life is because you are not in fellowship, you're not in prayer, and you're not in the Bible, and you're not confessing your sins to one another. That's how we fight, friends with the ordinary means of grace. It's so simple. So simple. But it's not simplistic, is it? Will these seven tribes take action and begin to receive their inheritance? Well, we have the transition. The distribution begins. 
This distribution begins in verse 11, and then there, but it comes with a problem. So Joshua's instruction led the Israelites to act, Israelites to act, and they received the land through distribution. I think they're pretty straightforward distributions, nothing particularly surprising. Now, some scholars have studied the names of these villages, and they think they might be a later addition, but I really think that's unlikely, uh, mainly because Joshua is describing what is currently happening, and often he will say, this is what the name is, but it used to be called this, right? So there's, this would be odd for there to be a later addition to this passage. So first we have Benjamin, 11 through 28. Isn't it interesting that Israel's favorite has such a long section describing his inheritance. It's very extensive and detailed. Let's look at it. The lot came up for the tribe of Benjamin, descendants by their clans, and their allotted territory lay between Judah's descendants and Joseph's descendants. Last week we had Joseph's and the week before Judah's, right? So here is their border. Their border on the northern side began at the Jordan, ascended the slope of Jericho on the north through the hill country westward, and ended at the wilderness around beth Aven. From there, the border went toward Luz, to the southern slope of Luz, that is Bethel. It then went down from Adaroth-Adar, over the hill south of lower Beth-Haran. On the west side from the hill facing Beth-Haran, on the south, the border curved, turning southward and ended at Kirith-Baal, that is Kirith-Jarim, a city of the descendants of Judah. This was the west side of their border. The south side began at the edge of Kirith-Jerim, and the border extended westward. It went to the spring of the waters of Nephtoah. The border descended to the foot of the hill that faces Ben-Hinnom Valley in the northern end of Rephraim Valley. It ran down Hinnom Valley toward the south, Jebusite Slope, and toward En-Rogel. It curved northward and went to En Shemesh and on to Gileoth, which is opposite of the ascent of Adamimim, Adam Mim, sorry, and continued down the stone of Bohan, son of Reuben. Then it went north to the slope opposite the Arabah and proceeded into the plains. The border continued to the north slope of Beth Hogla and ended at the northern bay of the Dead Sea at the southern end of the Jordan. This was the southern border. The Jordan formed the border on the east side. This was the inheritance of Benjamin's descendants by their clans, according to its surrounding borders. Very detailed, very extensive. Now we have Simeon, chapter 19. Oh, sorry, I didn't even do the cities. Man, you guys didn't call me out. Benjamin's cities. These were the cities of the tribe of Benjamin's descendants by their clans. Jericho, Beth Hogla. Emek Kezez, Beth Arba, Zemarim, Bethel, Avim, Para, Ophrah, Shephar, Amani, Ophni, and Geba. Twelve cities with their, their settlements Gibeon, Ramah, Beeroth, Mizpeh, Cherirah, Moza, Rechem, Irpil, Terala, Zela, Helfa, Jebus, Jebus, that is Jerusalem, Gibeah, and Kirath. Fourteen cities with their settlements. 
This was the inheritance of Benjamin's city descendants by their clans. Very detailed, very important. Thank you for the silent claps. All right, chapter 19. Simeon. Now, this is going to be interesting because I think Simeon is a fascinating character. The second lot came out for Simeon from the tribe of his descendants by their clans, but their inheritance was within the inheritance given to Judah's descendants. So Simeon was spread out among the descendants of Judah. Isn't that interesting? Okay, we'll continue. Beersheba, or Sheba, Molada, Hazar Shual, Bala, Ezem, Eltolad, Bethuel, Hormah, Ziklag, Beth Marakaboth, Hazar Susa, Beth Lebeoth, and Sharuhen. Thirteen cities with their settlements. Ain, Rimmon, Ether, and Ashen, four cities with their settlements. And all the settlements surrounding these cities as far as Balath, Beer, Ramah in the south. This was the inheritance of the tribe of Simeon's descendants by their clans. The inheritance of Simeon's descendants was within the territory of Judah's descendants. See the repetition? This is important. Because the share for Judah's descendants was too large. So Simeon's descendants received an inheritance within Judah's portion. Man, this is so important. So Simeon and Levi are two tribes that are spread throughout the descendants of Israel. Did you guys notice that? Have you thought about this before? Have you thought about why that is? What makes Simeon different? Well, let me tell you. I'm so glad you asked. Genesis 49, 5-7. This is uh, Israel kind of giving a prophecy about his children. Uh, maybe a blessing is kind of how it would be more precise. And so Simeon and Levi are brothers. Their knives are vicious weapons. This is what Israel's talking about, his own children. Verse 6, may I never enter their council. May I never join their assembly or their church. For in their anger, they kill men. And on a whim, they hamstring oxen. Their anger is cursed for it is strong and their fury for it is cruel. Listen to this. I will disperse them throughout Jacob and scatter them throughout Israel. That's a prophecy. Levi and Simeon are to be spread out throughout the tribes. It's, a, it's an answer or a completion of prophecy. Now, what's interesting to me, and we'll talk about Levi next week, but Levi is not in a negative note spread out. They are the priests. And how do they become priests? Because they stood with Moses in the wilderness when everybody else went and worshipped the golden calf. So they redeem themselves. And so even though they're spread out amongst the tribes of Israel, they have been redeemed. And so they have a, their curse was turned into a blessing in the wilderness. Now we have Zebulun, verse 10. The third, late, the third lot came up for Zebulun's descendants by their clans. The territory of their inheritance stretched as far as Sarid. Their border went up westward to Marlah, reached the... the excuse me here, Dabesheth, and met the brook east of Jokneum. From Sarid, it turned due east along the border of Chisloth-Tabor, went to Dabaroth, and went up to Japhia. From there it went east, due east, to Gath-Hefer and to Eth-Kazim. It extended to Rimon, curving around to Nia, 
the border, then circled around Nea on the north to Hanathon and ended up at Iftaa'el Valley, along with Ketaf, Nahalal, Shimron, Idalah, and Bethlehem, 12 cities with their settlements. This was the inheritance of Zebulun's descendants by their clans, these cities with their settlements. And at this point, you may be like, man, is he ever going to stop reading all these inheritances? I'm going to answer you no. So get comfortable, because this is important. If, they, if you were an Israelite reading this for the first time in your life, you would be like, this is my land, this is my home, this is my inheritance. And so all of God's word is important to us. It is God-breathed, and it's here for a reason. And so we will continue. The fourth lot came out for the tribe of Issachar's descendants by their clans. Their ter- territory went to Jezreel and included Chesuloth, Chess, Shunem, Hatharim, Sheon, Enaharoth, Ribith, Kishion, Ebez, Remeth, in Ganim, in Hadah, and Beth Pazez. The border reached Tabor, Shahazuma, bless you, and Beth Shemesh, and ended at the Jordan. Sixteen cities with their settlements. This was the inheritance of the tribe of Issachar, descendants by their clans, the cities with their settlements. We have Asher. The fifth lot came out for the tribe of Asher's descendants by their clans. We only got a couple left after Asher. Their boundary included Helkath, Hali, Baten, Akshaf, Alamalek, Ahmad, and Mishal, and reached westward to Carmel, and to Shehior, Libanath. It turned eastward to Beth Dagon. That's, you ever heard of Dagon? That's a, an enemy god there for them. Reached Zebulun and Iftaha El Valley, north towards Beth Emek and Neel, and went north to Kabul. Ebron, Rahab, Haman, and Cana, as far as greater Sidon. The boundary then turned to Ramah as far as the fortified city of Tyre. It turned back to Hosa and ended at the Mediterranean Sea, including Mahalab, Akzib, Uma, Afek, and Riab. Twenty-two cities with their settlements. This was the inheritance of the tribe of Asher's descendants by their clans. These cities with their settlements. You know, a lot of people sometimes say, I'm getting bored here, right? This is exhausting to me. If you ever read the genealogy in Matthew, you may feel that same way when you start your reading plan. And you say, my goodness, what is happening? And the reason we do this is because of the accumulative effect of repetition. The Israelites were very aware that our minds are feeble and we forget. And so repetition is good. Sometimes it's good to be bored. And I know I have to tell my kids this a lot. I say boredom is the sign of a weak mind. Anyways, um, so don't get bored. Have we done Naphtali yet? Okay, good thing no one said yes because we're off to Naphtali. The sixth lot came out for Naphtali's descendants by their clans. Their boundary went from Heleph and went from the oak of Zananim, including Adami, Nekeb, and Jebneel, as far as Lachem, and ended at the Jordan. To the west, the boundary turned to 
Asnath-Tabor, and went from there to Hukok, reaching Zebulun from the south, Asher on the west, and Judah at the Jordan on the east. The fortified cities were Zidim, Zer, Hamath, Rakath, Chinereth, Adama, Ramah, Hazor, Kadesh, Edrei, in Hazor, Iron, Migdalel, Horam, Beth Anath, and Beth Shemesh, 19 cities with their settlements. This was the inheritance of the tribe of Naphtali's descendants by their clans, the cities with their settlements. And now we get to Dan. And this is an interesting point. There's a, a deviation here. Let's look at Dan. The seventh lot came out for the tribe of Dan's descendants by their clans. The territory of their inheritance, which they never got, included Zorah, Eshtaol, Ir Shemesh, Shalabin, Ajalon, Ithla, Elon, Timnah, Ekron, Eltake, Gibeathon, Balath, Jehud, Ben Barak, Gath Rimon, Mejarkon, and Rakan, with the territory facing Joppa. When the territory of the descendants of Dan slipped out of their control, they went up and fought against Leshem, captured it, and struck it down with the sword. So they took possession of it, lived there, and renamed it, and renamed Leshem after their descent, their ancestor Dan. This was the inheritance of the tribe of Dan's descendants by their clans, these cities with their settlements. So we have Simeon and Levi spread out amongst the other tribes in fulfillment of what had been prophesied. Dan had to go further north. So instead of being next to Judah, they had to go further north. And if you look at Judges 18 down the road, it describes what happened. It gives us a kind of a detail as to why they failed. But it ends up with them setting up an idol and worshiping it after taking their new land. What, a, what a, a, a crime against the living God who gave them this land. So we we're beginning to see cracks in the armor. Israel entered the land. They conquered in a spectacular way, but not without some failure and compromise due to their lack of trust in God. And then we see God fulfilling his promise, but yet humans fail to grasp it fully. Now, I don't want to spend too much time on this section, but we cannot miss this. God is sovereign. He gives good gifts to his people. At the same time, we see man's responsibility at work. You have a responsibility. And that's what we're going to look at here. God is in charge and what I do matters could be how we sum it up. Responsible for what I do. And if you look at the sovereignty of God and, and human's responsibility, sometimes it feels like it defies logic. And we would say, yes, it's a, it's a mystery. It doesn't mean that it's illogical. There is a way that this lines up, but we may not ever fully grasp it. But we can rest in this, that God is in control of all things, yet I am responsible for what I do, for what I'm called to do. So without belaboring this, I think, I think it's helpful just to recognize that this is a mystery. We may not grasp. Uh, some have called this concurrence. I like how Spurgeon illustrates this. He says, man's responsibility and God's sovereignty are like two train tracks going off into the distance. They meet at some point. We just can't see where they meet. And that's a really helpful way for me to think about it because God is in complete and sovereign control. There's nothing that happens apart from his will. 
At the same time, I have a responsibility to respond to what He has told me and what He has given me. And so, for us, we must respond. And we see that the, ten, the, the tribe of Dan could not keep their land that they were given. They failed in their own personal responsibility. But God also rewards His faithful servant. And this is the last bit. We see that Caleb was rewarded and now Joshua gets rewarded. Verses 49 through 51 show how by Yahweh's command, by the Lord's command, Israel is given, uh, uh, Joshua is given a city. Let's go ahead and look at 49 through 51. When they had finished distributing the land into its territories, the Israelites gave Joshua son of Nun an inheritance among them. By the Lord's command, they gave him the city of Timnath-Sarah in the hill country of Ephraim, which he requested. He rebuilt the city and lived in it. These were the portions that the priest Eleazar, Joshua son of Nun, and the family heads distributed to the Israelite tribes by lot at Shiloh in the Lord's presence at the entrance of the tent of meeting. So they finished dividing up the land. The Lord rewards his faithful servants. Joshua has his own city and eventually he dies there. He's given a place and he can rest. As we consider the finishing of the dividing up of the land, we need to reflect on what this means. And I like how the author of Hebrew, Hebrews meditates on this. In Hebrews chapter 4, 7 through 11, and I'm going to be honest with you, we're jumping mid-argument. So sometimes that's not healthy. We want to read things in context. But this is what the Holy Spirit says in His Word. Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. Therefore, a Sabbath rest remains for God's people. For the person who has entered his rest has rested from his own works, just as God did from his. All right, here we go. Verse 11. Let us then make every effort to enter that rest, so that no one will fall into the same pattern of disobedience. Do not be like the Israelites who rebelled against the living God. So what is the effort that we are to make? It's, our, it's to do our best to be obedient, to not harden ourselves against the living God, to be quick to confession. We enter the final rest by working hard to have faith in Christ alone. We must trust in God to provide what we need. We must fight against the sin that so easily entangles. Anything that gets between me and Christ must go. That's what we are fighting. We're not fighting to achieve salvation. Christ has already done that. Christ is our promised land. He is our rest. He's our inheritance. Hebrews 6, 11 through 12 says, Now we desire each of you to demonstrate the same diligence for the full assurance of your hope until the end, so that you won't become lazy, but will be imitators of those who inherit the promises through faith and perseverance. Friends, are you focusing on your spiritual health? Are you seeking to be like Christ? Are you making it a point in your day to pursue Christ with everything that is in you? That's what we're being called here to do. So as we close with the challenge, and the challenge is this, how do we demonstrate diligence and imitate those who inherit the promise through faith and perseverance? So I want you to consider the song that we're about to hear. So how do we 
demonstrate diligence. You like those double Ds? Demonstrate diligence. Consider the song that we're going to hear. Justin Grant is a, um, a service member here. He's stationed and he has offered to lead us in worship. He's going to lead us in a new song called Grace Alone. And the final verse has these words. So, so Justin, if you would come up and get ready. Um, the final words of this song says this. And listen to this. This is, this is so powerful. So I'll stand in faith by grace and grace alone. I will run the race by grace and grace alone. I will slay my sin by grace and grace alone. I will reach the end by grace and grace alone. Isn't that such a powerful message for us today? In a frantic, busy world where everyone is trying to add to your agenda and fill up your calendar? Father, as we close today, we pray that you would guide us and help us to be diligent. Help us to be diligent in obedience, not because obedience is what makes us saved or, 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 or transforms us in any unique way, but that through grace in Christ Jesus, as we behold Jesus, that we get transformed. Lord, I pray if there's anyone in this room who has been neglecting the important matters of their faith, that they would repent from that this morning, they would turn from it, and they would turn to you, the living God. Father, be with us and guide us this week. We ask these things in the beautiful name of Christ and by the power of the Spirit. And God's people said, Amen.